Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we did have to slightly postpone one of our Game Worn Collector interviews because we did not get somebody who hasn't been on this podcast yet, but somebody who did actually do it uh, a week or two ago has agreed to return, so I need a little bit more time to rewrite some of the questions and make it something unique and a little more engaging. I hope you'll forgive me, but I'm sure that the guy who's coming back is going to be a ton of fun for you folks. It is actually Bill Lyons. He's going to be heading back and, and doing some chats with us probably sharing some more interesting jersey history and whatnot, but of course, um, we need to change our questions a little bit so you don't hear the same things twice. With all that said, tonight's episode is going to be a fun one. We are going to continue to dive into our yesteryear series of draft picks, and when we left off, we had just finished with Jamie Phillips and Ryan Olson from the 2012 NHL Entry Draft. Picking up right where we left off, we were kind of going in reverse order since we started from the top of the 2011 draft. And at round number five, pick 130 overall, a name that most folks are going to be very familiar with emerged from the Odessa Jackalopes of the NAHL. This young man is named Connor Hellebuck, and if for some reason you somehow don't know the name Connor Hellebuck yet, I would imagine that you're either not a Jets fan, not an NHL fan, or also kind of live under a rock. Joking aside, Hellebuck is probably this year's Vesna Trophy winner, and I think that his career has been something of an interesting trajectory. Hellebuck came into the NHL as sort of a, a high-expectations player because his college numbers, especially for UMass Lowell, and then some of his AHL numbers were looking pretty good. When Hellebuck was drafted, most scouts saw him as somebody who was a big goaltender with very controlled technicals, he wasn't really somebody who needed to rely on his reflexes as much, though he did have very fast glove reads and an ability to basically cover the net in an instant because of his wingspan. Hellebuck, in his lower years and in, in younger uh, leagues that he was playing, and especially in college and in some of the dev leagues that he was with, kind of looked like somebody who had, let's just say, really good positioning where he didn't really need to move a whole lot in order to basically shut down shooting angles and keep track of the puck in front of him. I say all of this because Hellebuck's trajectory in the NHL has actually been a little bit up and down. I think that overall Hellebuck has been, for the most part, generally speaking, average, and that's not necessarily a slight, but I think everyone was kind of pointing at him as the future, you know, franchise goalie. Until 2017-2018, we'd seen limited glimpses of him being good, and that's not to say that he was bad necessarily, but I think Hellebuck had a lot of issues in this game. Sometimes it was an efficiency issue where he, you know, didn't really have confidence maybe in some of his reads, and so he would have these little extra skating, skating movements and some lateral movement that really wasn't necessary, and it would kind of throw him off his game. He also seemed to not have great uh, puck tracking ability, or I don't know. It's sort of hard to explain because here's a guy who is almost exclusively known for, as far as his prospect reputation is concerned, being very efficient, very controlled, and Hellebuck for the Jets was not quite the same guy. He was inefficient, he sort of flailed around at times, there were many pucks that he just seemingly didn't have good vision on and didn't have a glove read on, 
and when you saw the way that he rotated inside the crease and tried to anticipate shot pre-shot movements and things, he just didn't really seem to have it. It just wasn't there, and it was very puzzling because all we'd ever heard about was this guy being big and really technically refined, but the guy who arrived at the Jets was not quite the same player. 1718 is the first time that that wasn't the case, and he went with a guy named Francilia, who was a goalie coach that uh, supposedly fixed Devin Dubnik's game. Now, obviously, Dubnik this season has been pretty wretched and miserable, but um, when Dubnik first returned after working with, I think his name is Terry or Adam Francilia, something like that, this guy had trained Dubnik to better utilize his core movements and make his movements more efficient, more controlled, and more accurate to what Dubnik was actually trying to do with his body. And, you know, the results were very positive, so Hellebuck ended up going to the same guy, and the results were pretty apparent almost from game one. For one thing, Hellebuck's, you know, skating motions were a lot more controlled, a lot less floaty, I would say. He was very tight. He didn't add extra rotations, um, you know, in and around the net. He kept his skating almost to a bare minimum, just enough to keep the pads moving and, and tracking the puck as accurately as he could without pulling himself out of his crease in a way that was going to be something that he couldn't recover from if the shot ended up changing directions or anything like that. So a lot of, you know, a lot of goaltending his anticipation and prediction, and Hellebuck had struggled with that previously. With Francilio's coaching, he was a lot more controlled, a lot more consistent, and generally speaking looked pretty good. I'm sure there was more to it because I felt like his glove reads were also a lot more timely, but of course if you start working on the timings around your midsection and your core, it's going to impact everything else because a lot of your upper body movements rely on the rotations that you put your core through and how you utilize those, essentially those core muscle groups, which is something that Francilia liked to stress. So where is Hellebuck now? As I said earlier, he is indeed my runaway Vezina favorite for a variety of reasons, and I think the first thing is that, have you seen this Jets defense? It's pretty bad. Winnipeg actually lost one of its key contributors who was also drafted in this same year, and we'll get to him in a, a few minutes. But that wasn't the only defenseman the Jets lost. We also lost Toby Enstrom over the past couple of seasons. We've lost, at various points, Josh Morrissey throughout the year to injuries. Dustin Bufflin has been gone for the entire year. I mean, this Jets defense is literally comprised of guys who are depth defensemen at the AHL and ECHL levels. So... Winnipeg is a little bit uh, a little bit under the weather to say on the defensive side of things, which means Hellebuck has had to work extra hard. But it's not just the defense that was the issue. Maurice tried to compensate for Winnipeg's defensive liabilities by having his forwards also kind of shut down and, and try to lock things up in the offensive zone and defensive zone. But of course, whenever the forwards drop low and try to shut things down, it doesn't usually go that well because Winnipeg doesn't have many defensively minded forwards and they're not very good at breaking out of their own zone when they're under a lot of defensive zone pressure. Hellebuck, though, kept us in a playoff spot and somehow had a save percentage above 9-10. I mean, he was at 9-22 last I saw, which, considering this team, is nothing short of a miracle. I would say that Hellebuck, I don't, I don't think there's anyone else who provided as much value at both his position and to his team as much as Helly did this season. He won't win the Hart Trophy, but he sure as heck deserves a nomination because he was just phenomenal in almost every capacity, and if this is what we have to look forward to going over the next couple of seasons, Winnipeg is in very good hands in net. Going in reverse order even still, right after Hellebuck, or actually I should say right before Hellebuck, was Scott Kosmachuk taken in the third round. We actually skipped around in between. Kosmachuk was taken in round three at pick number 70 overall. Kosmachuk is kind of interesting because 
when he was drafted, I think he was thought to be kind of a versatile all-around attacking forward. Scott's final year with the Gelf Storm where he was uh, taken had 101 points, which is pretty solid. 68 games, he added almost 40 full points to his previous year's uh, record with Guelph. And then he was actually pretty okay at the AHL level. He played a number of seasons with the Ice Caps and Moose, got a couple of games with the Jets and wasn't horrible, but then basically went down to the AHL for the rest of his career. Kozmachuk is kind of one of those guys who I think occasionally had decent skills that you could argue a fourth-line role would be fine, but I don't think that he ever did anything to really stand out beyond somebody who was like a fourth fourth-line power wing of some sort. I think most folks thought that he might be able to contribute a lot of offense through his intensive forechecking and a pretty decent stick and stick coordination and hand-eye coordination, but unfortunately, none of that really manifested all that um, notably at the NHL level. And even at the AHL level, he only ever had modest point totals. He wasn't a really high off, high-end offensive dynamo at the professional level. I think his career high at the AHL was around 42 points. He was in New York system for a while and was okay there for Hartford, but beyond that didn't really get much of a look beyond, I think, a couple of training camp and preseason games. I think Kosmachuk is one of those guys who's always one of those tweeners. He might get a call up every now and then if, if a team needs a fourth liner to maybe chip in a tiny bit of offense and uh, basically just eat up line minutes, but beyond that, I don't think that he really got much of a look at the professional level, especially for the Jets. He only had like eight games there. And despite having like three assists in eight games, I'm pretty sure his underlying numbers were pretty atrocious. I don't remember Kosmachuk making much of an impression, and it's pretty obvious that the Jets weren't really in love with him either. So he ended up getting jettisoned, and apparently as of this season, he was with the Augsburg Panthers in the Deutsche Ice Hockey League, which is kind of um, a little bit of an unusual trajectory, I guess. As an aside, it's kind of funny that uh, you see Germany popping up in hockey circles more frequently. Everyone knows that they dominate football in the Bundesliga. You know, you've got Bayern and Borussia Dortmund. Um, Augsburg has its own team. A couple of teams that uh, I think Kellner High, uh, which is where I think Dreisaitl is from. Köln is a great city if you've never been, but um, Germany's prominence on the ice hockey scene has only continued to grow, and uh, they've mostly been exporting really good prospects. And in fact, we've gotten one of them in, in Leon Gavanki. So it's kind of funny that occasionally North America then exports players overseas to the DEL, where they can hopefully ply their trade. Looks like his season thus far was pretty modest, nothing amazing, but 25 points in 32 games at that level, not bad. He certainly panned out better than uh, the 39th overall pick, round two... Oh gosh, Lucas Sutter, man. So Lucas Sutter was probably one of Winnipeg's genuine true flops. Sutter never really had outstanding point totals. In fact, he was sort of a grinder, very tough guy, very physical. If you look at his Saskatoon Blades penalty minutes in three seasons um, from 2010 to 2013, he racked up almost maybe... If I'm doing the math right, almost 600 penalty minutes. I mean, that's pretty insane. I, I think closer to 500, but I mean, either way, that's just kind of nuts for three years of play. Unfortunately, if you would look back on it now, I mean, that, that was a horrendous pick for a variety of reasons. Even when he moved to Red Deer in the 2013-2014 season, in 45 games, he amassed a whole 23 points, but still amassed 74 penalty minutes. Um... Sutter didn't really do anything at the professional level. He spent about one whole season bouncing between the AHL and ECHL 
and it was pretty clear that Sutter wasn't really more than uh, essentially a goon. If Winnipeg had a time machine, Lucas probably would not have happened. I think his family name kind of carried things more than anything else about him. When he was drafted, I know that he had something like 59 or 60 points, but uh, yeah, I just... Nothing about Sutter really seems like it was all that impressive. I think that this was a stage of scouting where the Jets were still going after guys who were very physical. Uh, Sutter was a big kid. He was around 214 pounds when he was drafted, and I think that the, the Sutter family name kind of carried a lot of weight for the Jets' scouts, which is unfortunate because... You look at his career and his body of work, and there's really not that much there, even in the seasons prior. It wasn't long before Lucas was out of the Jets' system, and his last, I guess, record of playing any sort of hockey at all at an organized level was at University of Saskatchewan in 1617, where he had 5 points in 13 games. If you talk about a dead end in a draft pool, man, yikes, I don't even know where to begin with that one. That's like a... I don't know. Um, Unfortunately for Lucas, he just never really amounted to much, and I think that this is one of those scenarios where, uh, you know, if the Jets had it over to do again, of course they would have drafted somebody else. But a lot of times teams can occasionally get focused on these these one, you know, one-trait players who, for whatever reason they think, really fits their identity and their mold, and maybe they overlook the other evidence that suggests they're not as good as they seem. I think if if the Jets were to have all of the knowledge and everything that we've learned about scouting over the past 10 years or so, they would look at that pick immediately and say, not even worth a seventh rounder at that. I'll jump ahead in time a little bit, but when you compare it to somebody like Austin Wong, and, and Wong is kind of interesting because I think that he has a very similar profile to Sutter, but Wong has way more offensive upside, and there's evidence to suggest that he's actually very much a good play driver on the ice. He's very different than Lucas. Lucas just really didn't have a whole lot else going for him despite okay point totals, just very modest for WHL. Of Winnipeg's draft picks, Lucas Sutter is arguably one of the biggest misses in the franchise history. I mean, he was drafted in the second round, and not like at the end of the second round either, pretty high up. So I think that in a lot of ways, you know, Lucas is probably going to have an even shorter career when it comes to comparing against Logan Stanley's probably longer tenure at the AHL and NHL levels. I have saved the end of this draft, or I guess the beginning in Winnipeg's case, since we went in reverse order. I always forget that and say the end, but really this is the beginning of Winnipeg's draft. I've saved this guy for last because this player for me is a personal favorite, and the fact that he's not a Jet anymore is actually quite painful. Uh, He is one of our, or at least was for a long time, one of our stalwart defensemen, and somebody who I always felt was the natural heir to Dustin Bufflin, even though his game is not quite the same. This player, of course, was drafted in the first round at number 9 overall, and that player is Jacob Truba. Jacob is one of uh, the U.S. National Development Program's best success stories. He only spent a couple of seasons there before moving to the University of Michigan, but Jake was a very talented, very powerful right-handed defenseman. On On the decently tall side, he's pretty thick, too big kid, doesn't always look like it when you look at his jerseys and look at photos of him, but he's a big dude. He clocked in at 202 last I saw, 6'3", big kid, and uh, he was, for many years, a pivotal part of this Winnipeg back end. He could basically make Mark Stewart, who was one of the best 
defenseman at dragging down his partners look really great, which is kind of weird because in a lot of ways, Truba, you know, you wouldn't imagine him to be a play-driving, bad defensive partner-carrying guy. What I think worked out, though, is that Truba is an extraordinarily active defenseman in transition and in the offensive zone. He's got a big shot, he's got very good skating, he has natural offensive instincts, and I think a lot of that was enough to mask the fact that Mark Stewart, who we played tons of time with, really wasn't much of anything. We used to call Mark Stewart, a, uh, I guess, a stay-at-home defenseman, in the sense that you probably wish he stayed at home instead of playing in the NHL. But hey, it is what it is. He was part of the Wheeler package when the Thrashers traded. I think it was uh, Boris Volobik or something and Rich Peverly to Boston. So, you know, for a variety of reasons, Stewart at the time was more of an effective D-man when that trade happened. Obviously, these days, not quite the same thing. But, you know, Truba, despite being paired with an anchor, still managed to perform at a far higher level than most people probably anticipated. Truba was very good, and in his final couple of seasons with the Jets, was one of our most important top 4D. His last couple of years, there were some signs, though, that he maybe wasn't as good as we had hoped. Uh, I think his defensive impact was especially worrying, and his even-strength offensive production was okay, not great. And there were a couple of seasons where he had some some serious injury issues. He's been since uh, since he, the trade to New York, he's been not great. I think that his defensive issues, especially when taken away from Josh Morrissey, who he was very comfortable with, all of those deficiencies really got blown up and put into sharper relief. Which I think for Truba is very frustrating because he obviously is somebody with a, a very powerful, very active skill set. And somebody who, you know, most players would probably say is a great defenseman. But unfortunately, the reality is a little more complicated. He and Morrissey worked well together, and the two of them apart just don't seem to have gelled quite as, as nicely as you'd hoped. I mean, when when they're with their new partners, neither of them have had the same level of success that they enjoyed when they were together. Looking back on the 2012 draft, I would say that it was probably better than the 2011 draft. I feel like Winnipeg got, well... Okay, this is a little complicated because Winnipeg wasted a really high-end pick for Lucas Sutter, so that's a huge L. But getting a, a top-four defenseman in Jacob Truba, who at one point we thought was a even a top-pairing guy, and getting a potential franchise goalie in Connor Hellebuck versus Mark Shifley and Adam Lowry being your top-end players in 2011, the rest of the guys really didn't even do anything at the pro level beyond maybe Austin Broussard. Um... Yeah, I, I would have to tip the balance in favor of 2012. I think that obviously Shifley and Lowry do do put up a pretty good argument to suggest that their their sheer amount of value maybe would knock against the 2012 draft. But I don't know. I feel like the, the 2012 draft had more guys who actually played some degree of pro hockey, especially in North America. One could also certainly contend that, that Hellebuck and Shifley in some capacity have equal levels of value at you know to the team at this stage of their careers hellebuck is obviously our, our number one goalie and shifley is the lead first line center truba you know for many years was a stalwart on this blue line and somebody that you know barring a contract situation would have been we are you know one of our go-to right-handed defensemen for years to come instead he got traded away and we actually did get a pretty good replacement in Vili heinola who we'll talk about at some point in the coming week or so but you know it's just complicated for me because I very much miss Truba and it's a shame how that all panned out but I, I think that Winnipeg still got okay value when they traded him away and in the 2012 draft 
aside from Sutter, did okay. Sutter, though, I think was such a bad pick that it almost tips the, the balance in favor of 2011. And, you know, obviously when we start going into the further seasons, even as soon as the 2013 season, uh, that draft was way better than basically, you know, the first two drafts, generally speaking, especially in pro-level value. So, you know, Winnipeg learned a lot of lessons from the first two drafts, and I feel like they've only gotten better as the years have gone on, even if they occasionally do some things that maybe make you wince a little bit. I hope you folks enjoyed this flashback to the 2012 entry draft. Be sure to tune in for the next episode, which should be the 2013 entry draft. And later this week, or sometime this coming weekend, we will have another Stories from the Game One Collecting World story interview slash episode of some sort. I don't know what it's going to be yet, 100%. Pretty sure it's going to be a regular interview, but we'll see what kind of format we go with. Hope you guys enjoy it. Feel free to shoot me a tweet if you have any questions for Bill or any other Game One collectors that I'll have on in the future. Thanks again so much for listening. Be sure to tune in to the Locked On NHL National Broadcast right now, and have a great night. Go Jets go!